Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. I hope everybody who's gotten a chance to check out the episodes put out earlier in the week had Andrew Schnicker on to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes on Tuesday, had Brian Smith to talk about the Florida Panthers yesterday, today. Today, we are going to reflect on the... I don't even know what superlative to put in front of career of Henrik Lundqvist because to understand how much Henrik Lundqvist means to me and so many other people out there in the world, it's so complex. There are so many layers that go into understanding Henrik Lundqvist's career with the New York Rangers, you have to remember, prior to Lundqvist's arrival, the Rangers were off in the abyss. They have Gretzky retire at the end of the 90s, and once Gretzky retires, that's really the end of the Rangers in terms of what you remember from that period of time. The early 2000s are a very, very dark period where the Rangers were consistently amongst the worst teams in the entire league. They have the lockout canceled entire season where there's no season in um, 2003, 2004. Uh, no, 2004, 2005, because yeah. Okay, uh, bear with me. I'm, I'm working in real time on some of these and, you know, the brain isn't perfect. I, I like to try to exercise my brain, but I cannot remember everything. So they have the lockout canceled season. They come back 05-06. Henrik Lundqvist is not the starting goaltender that first season he comes over from Sweden. He is a backup. Kevin Weeks is on that team. Kevin Weeks is the presumptive starter. Ranger fans are wondering where their first-round pick goaltender Al Montoya is and wondering why the Rangers have a seventh-round goalie on their NHL roster. But for whatever reason, the Rangers took a goaltender from a small skiing village in Sweden, altered the direction of the franchise and millions of hockey fans. I, I mean... Even if you're not a Ranger fan, you've had to deal with playing the Rangers and Henrik Lundqvist at some point in your life if you are a hockey fan or if you live in the New York area and you watch television on occasion. The impact of Lundqvist as a hockey player, as a person, as a philanthropist, all of that stuff gets folded into this. And we're having this episode today because the Rangers are retiring his number 30 on Friday at the Garden. and. It has long upset me that Henrik Lundqvist's last start as a Rangers goaltender at Madison Square Garden was a Sunday matinee game where they got absolutely murdered, murdered by the Philadelphia Flyers, and Lundqvist was only starting because Igor Shosturkin was hurt. If you let, Let's take the time machine back to the spring of 2020, pre-COVID pandemic, pre-pause and the the NHL bubble, the Rangers call up Shesterkin in late January of that season. They give him a run. He plays very well in his first NHL start against the Colorado Avalanche. He plays really well, and he more or less steals the job. And if you'll remember, you'll indulge me here, 
Hank wasn't playing terrible in that 2019-2020 season when they called up Shesterkin, but they opted to say, let's see what we got in this guy. And on most nights, Hank was the backup. Shesterkin was getting a majority of the starts, and the ones he wasn't, Alexander Georgiev was getting the starts. The Rangers were still a plucky, exciting team, but not particularly good. That year under David Quinn, they had very bad underlying numbers, conceded a ungodly amount of scoring chances because they just had such a bad defense but they played at such a fast up-tempo pace they were able to score a ton and they were able to be competitive even though that team wasn't extremely talented and Hank played pretty well in the first half of that season before Shesterkin got a call up and usurped him as the full-time starter and that we have that car accident where Buchnevich and Shesterkin both get hurt. They have to play Georgiev, and they have that Sunday matinee game, and Hank starts. They get murked by the Flyers. I think the final was 5-2. to two. It might have been 7-2. to two. I, I did not look it up because that's not really the main point of the story, but you get what I'm saying. That was the last time Hank ever went between the pipes with his pads on at the Garden. After that, two starts in the bubble against Carolina, behind a god-awful team that got him embarrassed. Let's be honest here. That display in the bubble against Carolina was an embarrassment. And it's not right that was the last hockey Henrik Lundqvist ever played. It's just flat out. I know we didn't know about the medical condition that was going to force him to retire at the time. It is bullshit. The Rangers did that. Absolute, flat-out bullshit. Okay, we've set the table here. We're going to have a nice, reflective, somewhat depressing reconciliation with the Henrik Lundqvist era of the New York Rangers. But before I get to that, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Please, please, please subscribe. Leave reviews. Whatever podcasting platform you use to listen Subscribe to the show. If you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. Spotify, you have to listen to a few episodes before you're able to leave a review, but it's right there at the top underneath the show's logo. You can hit leave a review. You can leave five stars. Please, please, please leave five stars. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you go to the show's page. You scroll down past the recent episodes. We've been doing daily episodes since the start of the new year. Past the recent episodes, you go down. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right, five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. If you have them, please take a minute. Not even if you have. Please take a minute and leave a written review. Reviews help content creators out a ton. It doesn't take you a lot of time as a listener. It's a good trade-off for you. It helps you out more than it helps me. I can do better content if there's more of a... If there's more engagement with the show, the more engagement the show gets, the easier it is to get guests. The more guests you get, the more engaging the show goes. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. It's why the biggest podcasts have the biggest guests, if, if you were wondering how that works. Okay, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk about why Henrik Lundqvist means so much to so many people. Draws Siegel. Chara in front. Krejci. Oh, save by Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist with one of the saves of the year. And I'll be able to say that three months from now. Briere against Lundqvist. Save Lundqvist. 
on Murray through center. Oh, that's a strange bounce off the boards. What a stop by Henrik Lundqvist. Knifed away for Bornaball. Wanted to play it on further and could not. Settled down there, but they cannot work their way through. It's Vanek with it, though. Backhand's winning. Shot was tipped high by Moore, who got right on it. Touchdown in front, Neil is shot. Jam play at the front of it. Neil fed it back. Latang can't get it through. Pumped along by Moore. Backhander covered by Lundqvist. A jam at the front, but Lundqvist has got it. And play is stopped. And with that, we will get on into it. Today, the day I'm recording, is January 26th. It has been two years since Kobe Bryant passed away in a tragic helicopter accident and I spent a lot of my Wednesday just thinking about what makes me why do I enjoy certain athletes because there's hundreds of thousands of athletes across all of the sports I watch with and I engage with and certain ones it's natural to gravitate towards someone like Kobe it was the un dying will to compete that as long as he was on that court he was going to do everything in his power to try and win the damn game and it gravitates back to something i read right around the time of his passing that i forget who wrote it but it was very simple everybody who has ever picked up a basketball a bat a hockey stick a football kicked around a soccer ball Whatever they have done when they were a kid, just playing, having fun, they have imagined themselves as somebody playing that sport. You gravitate towards the people who you want to play like, for whatever reason. Some people, it's not about being re resembling your game after the best player. It's the quirky batting stance. It's the weird skating style, the weird shot selection, whatever it is for you, you gravitate towards somebody for some given reason. And then maybe you play sports at a reasonably high level. You play travel, you play high school, you play varsity, you play college maybe if you're a really special athlete. But at some point, unless you are that half of a half of a half of a percent that is going to play professional sports, the journey ends for you. It doesn't mean all of that work you put in was invalid. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean your work wasn't worth something. The hardest part of coming to terms with that is it's part of growing up that your dreams aren't I I did not end up going to the University of Texas playing wide receiver and going to the NFL, even though that's what I wanted more than anything in the world when I was in the fifth grade. That's what I wanted to do when I was in the fifth grade. And we gravitate towards the people like Kobe Bryant, like Henrik Lundqvist, who showed, who showed what you would do if you were a normal person who had the superhuman athletic ability. That is what makes us gravitate towards people like Henrik Lundqvist, like Kobe Bryant, like Michael Jordan. Because if you had their natural talent, you wouldn't be able to live with yourself if you did not compete and hold yourself to the standard players of that caliber do. 
I think about all of the times I saw Henrik Lundqvist slam his stick on the post after giving up a goal he thought he shouldn't have. Granted, he did that almost after every single goal he gave up because he never thought he should have given up a goal. And that's where we can start this conversation. In no other sport is any other position is perfection the expectation. Ideally, if you are a goaltender in hockey, you don't give up a goal. That is the best possible outcome for you in your job. If you are playing goaltender in hockey and you don't give up a goal in the entire game, through the overtime, through the shootout, that means your team won the game. That is the expectation for you if you are a goaltender. You better not be giving up anything. You need to be perfect. There is a there is an exhibit in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto with a bunch of different goaltending equipment throughout history, and there's a quote from a newspaper columnist in Toronto, and it to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, perfection is the standard when you are playing goaltender in hockey. And Henrik Lundqvist held himself to that expectation every single night, no matter what was in front of him. And that is what that is what I will remember more than anything about Hank's career. No matter what was going on in front of him, he always expected that he would be able to make the save because he had worked at it at nauseum to be able to. That even if it wasn't just natural ability, he was going to keep refining that natural ability to a point where he was going to be able to make any play he needed to during the course of his game. Understanding that is part of what Part of the maturation of my view of sport and why I've gained such an appreciation for people, even on teams I dislike. As I've gotten older, I've grown an appreciation for Sidney Crosby. And like 13-year-old me would be trying to fist fight me right now for saying that out loud because of how much Sidney Crosby irked me as a child. To be doing what Sidney Crosby is doing 17 years into an NHL career is special. Truly, truly special. There is a finite amount of greatness. Only so many people get to play professional sports. Even fewer get to do it at a high level. Even fewer do it at a high level over a long period of time. And even fewer get to say, I made it to the Hall of Fame. I got my jersey retired. All of that stuff just goes to show you how difficult that journey is. And within the confines of a team sport, like hockey, you can be one of the best to ever play, and your influence on the game, it's still dependent on 17 other, 18 other people in the case of Henrik Lundqvist. You, you got to depend on the six defensemen and the 12 forwards in front of you, no matter how great you are. If the team in front of you is bad, it's going to be difficult to be good at your job, and for long stretches of Henrik Lundqvist's career, he was on pretty mediocre, outright bad teams. And he was great enough that he made a lot of people feel that that average or bad team would be able to win most nights because he was in net. All of those preseason previews you would read in the hockey news or back when Sports Illustrated actually covered hockey, 
and they would have the Rangers on the cover in the preseason. The season preview would always end with, oh yeah, and they have Henrik Lundqvist in net. No matter what, the Rangers will always be a tough out with number 30. That is the greatest vote of confidence you can have in anybody in any position. If you end your preview for anything with, but they have this guy, that guy makes me feel confident in this team, even if things around him don't go well. You think about it when we talk about the true greats. We talk about Tom Brady, what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes now in Kansas City. Even if things aren't perfect around him, they are going to find a way to make a play to elevate what's around them. And Henrik Lundqvist spent an entire career elevating what was around him. And it's why he is so heavily revered. Because now, Ranger fans have had a few years in the goaltending question zone. Yes, we have Igor Shosturkin now, who looks to be a very special talent. I'm going to preface this, of course, by saying he's... Two and a half years into an NHL career, he's played very well. There's no indication that there's any reason he won't continue playing this well. That's a that's a far cry from Henrik Lundqvist's 14, 15 years as a goaltender and playing at a top five, top ten level that entire time. It takes time. You have to build up that credibility, that trust, that dependability, and... Part of what makes this period in Rangers history so frustrating is if Lundqvist wasn't so damn good, maybe the people in charge would have actually made the team better at some point. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but when you think about the teams that have won the Stanley Cup in recent history, Except for maybe Andre Vasilevsky, because Vasilevsky truly is one of the two or three best goaltenders in the world. Jordan Bennington is maybe a top 10 goalie, right around 10. Braden Holpe, when Washington won their cup, maybe like 8, 7. You keep the further back, you go, Matt, you're telling Matt Murray? Mark andre Fleury? Jonathan Quick? Corey Crawford? Tim Thomas had a very good flash-in-a-pan elite year. I'll give the Bruins that with Tim Thomas. Corey Crawford again? Marc-Andre Fleury? Chris Osgood? Like, when you go back through this era, the post-lockout, the salary cap era, and you think about the teams that won, it was the well-rounded team with a pretty good but not elite goaltender. Like, Marc-Andre Fleury will get into the Hall of Fame because of his resume. Corey Crawford is going to be debated about. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but there will be debate. Those are not the two or three best goaltenders in the world. And when you have one of the two or three best goaltenders in the world, that messes with the perception of your team. A lot, a lot of people got paid because Henrik Lundqvist was very good at his job, and he inflated the perception of the people in front of him. I know a lot of people like to cite the goals against as the sign of a team with good defense in the mainstream, the people who write for NHL.com, the people who write for ESPN, some of the more outdated people who work at The Athletic will cite goals against as a sign of a team with a good defense. That means you have a good goaltender. More often than not, that is the sign of a good goaltender. And when you think about what, and you think about 
the Henrik Lundqvist teams. The best two. All right, I'll give you the best three. You have the team with John Tortorella that loses to the Devils in the conference final. You have the team that goes to the cup final and loses to the Kings. And you have the team that loses to the Lightning in the conference final in 2015. So that's 2011-2012, 13-14, and 14-15. Those are the three best teams of the Henrik Lundqvist era. None of those teams had a forward score more than 70 points in a season. And that was Marion Gabrick on the 2011-2012 team. At no point during the Henrik Lundqvist era was Lundqvist not the best player on the Rangers. Period. Just full stop. Full stop. If you want to say on the 1920 team, fine. That team was not good. The 2019-2020 team that had Panarin's first year in New York. If you want to say Panarin and rookie Adam Fox, I will give you that. But we knew that Rangers team wasn't a cup contender. So of the three best teams, we're saying, Henrik Lundqvist is always the best player on his own team. And that was the problem the Rangers had. When your best player is a goaltender, you have to spend a lot on that position. And that takes away from your depth. When you can't spend as much on your third and fourth line, that hurts you. Then you have to start plucking away at that bottom six and trying to save money where you can. And eventually you do have to blow it up. And the Rangers made tactical decisions during his time period as the goaltender, and they made mistakes. They chose the wrong guys for the wrong reasons. They chose the bigger, more physical, stay-at-home guys, what you would typically call a defensive defenseman, like Mark Stahl, like Dan Girardi, because they had good defensive numbers because they didn't give up a lot of goals against because Henrik Lundqvist was behind them. You give me a mulligan, you put me in charge of that team after at the 2013-2014 trade deadline when they trade for Marty St. Louis. I'm trading Dan Girardi too, and I am getting something for him. I'm getting a mobile defenseman. I know the rumor that every Ranger fan thinks about is the Cam Fowler for Dan Girardi trade during that 13-14 season, which would have been beautiful for the Rangers because then they could have moved on from Mark Stahl a few years later, another left-handed shot. You put him in that spot and you have Fowler, you have McDonough. Figuring out the first pair right defenseman was the hard part. And that's why the Rangers ultimately chose to extend Girardi because it's just so much harder to find a first pair right-handed guy as opposed to a left-handed guy. But the aging curve bit up on him very quickly he was good during the 13-14 season, but after that, it was a stark decrease, and he got bought out three years later, two years later, and that's your sliding doors moment. The Rangers had a young team with upside in 2011-2012 that kind of snuck up on people, was really good defensively under John Tortorella, but couldn't score enough. If you go back and you look at the box scores through that 2011-2012 postseason with the series against the Flyers and then Washington, not the Flyers, Ottawa, excuse me. The Flyers played the Penguins in that crazy first-round series. Everybody remembers with Brzezgalov and Fleury where both teams are scoring six or seven goals every game. The first round against Ottawa where Haglin gets suspended for being the third man in in the Kartner-Brian Boyle fight. And then the second round against Washington where you get the Brad Richards 6.6, you get Stall in overtime, you get Gabrick in triple overtime. 
And then they get that series against the Devils. The Devils just had more horses. I think the Rangers were a better team overall, but the Devils just had a little bit more depth, and that was the deciding factor in a series where neither team could score a ton. Um, the most interesting stat I found while I was doing research in preparation for today's episode, Henrik Lundqvist appeared in 130 postseason games in his career. He gave up two or fewer goals in 74 of them. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. The Rangers did not win all 74 of those games. He gave up two or fewer goals. There were quite a lot of games in those box scores where the Rangers scored one or zero and lost because they did not have a well-rounded enough roster. And again, I, I said it before, and I will repeat it here before moving to the next topic. Having an elite goaltender is a privilege. You should not be looking at your goaltender as a magic eraser, as the giving tree. This is the analogy I have been using to describe Henrik Lundqvist for, I'd say, two years now. I thought about it a lot when they bought him out after the bubble playoffs in, in that September, that October, right after uh, the Lightning won the Cup and they bought him out. I was trying to think about examples where people didn't realize how good they had it. They kept asking somebody for something. They kept supporting them. And give it, the Giving Tree, the Shell Silverstein short story came to me where the little kid keeps going to the tree and asking for things to help him uh, get with a, talk to a woman, help his house, things to make entertain him. And that's what the Rangers did with Henrik Lundqvist. No matter what was in front of him, Lundqvist showed up on any given night and he gave them a chance to win. And on the nights, they didn't win. More often than not, it was not his fault they didn't win. And they kept tinkering around, not really addressing the problem, but they don't score enough. Well, let's get another defenseman in here. Let's bring in another fourth-line guy. Let's bring in a fourth-line guy with a little bit of ugh on him, like Tanner Glass. That's what we need. And you just think about the, how, the, how the giving tree ends, where it's the kid showing up to a stump. That's what the Rangers left Henrik Lundqvist as, a tree stump. After 15 years of being one of the four best goalies on the planet any given season, they left him as a tree stump. They never gave him enough opportunities. They made the playoffs a bunch. 130 playoff appearances for a goaltender is a lot. That's almost a season and a half of postseason appearances. That is a fuck ton of playoff games. And the Rangers had a realistic chance of winning the Stanley Cup three postseason runs in his career. Three. If you want to say four, okay. I'm not counting any of the pre-Tortorella ones. I'm not counting anything under Tom Rennie as teams that were legitimate cup contenders. If you want to say the team in 16-17 that beats Montreal in the first round and loses to Ottawa in the second round in an embarrassing series that should have gotten Elaine Vigneault fired, Sure, I'll give you that one. I disagree. It is un it's hard to fathom how somebody in a position of authority could be so dense as to not understand the problem with their own team. And you get into this. I talked about this a few weeks ago. One of the first episodes I did back from the hiatus was talking about hubris, ego, and being self-interested as opposed to team-interested. And it's very clear that's what happened for extended periods of the Lundqvist era. 
they make good decisions. They go out and get Brad Richards when they need veteran experience. They trade for Rick Nash. You know what happens when you trade for Rick Nash? You got your roster depth. You lose two middle six forwards in Artem Anisimov and uh, Brandon Dubinsky. I almost said Devin Dubnik, the goaltender who didn't get picked for Team Canada, which was weird. I know, I know. I got to stop going off on these tangents. But every single time they make a move, you get two steps forward, three steps back. You go get Rick Nash, you lose your depth. So you have to trade Marion Gabrick to go get that depth back. You get Derek Broussard, Derek Dorset, John Moore. You go out and you get a Dan Boyle. You lose Anton Stroman. You trade for Keith Yandel, but you extended Mark Stahl already, so you can't keep Keith Yandel long-term. All of these things, you give certain people a little bit more money than they're worth. You give Dan Girardi a little bit too much money. You give Mark Stahl a little bit too much money. You can't afford to keep Cam Talbot as a really good backup goalie, or you can't afford to give... Carl Haglin one more contract before he reaches unrestricted free agency. And that's how the salary cap error sneaks up on you. You can be a very good team and never win anything like the Rangers, like the Sharks, and slowly, piece by piece, your core gets picked apart until you have nothing left. You look at the Rangers now. There is one person on this team from the 2014 team that went to the Cup Final, and that's Chris Kreider. And Chris Kreider was two years out of college when he was on that team in 2014, and he was still kind of trying to put it together. Nine years is a long time in professional sports. You just feel like it, they might have had one or two more guys stick around, and the Rangers bungling the transition from contender to retooling to contender again is probably going to haunt me the rest of my life because Henrik was so good. They stubbornly hung on too long instead of trying to address their problems. You think about the teams with Kevin Hayes, with JT Miller, with Matt Zuccarello, Brady Shea. You think about that group, the Jimmy Vesey, Pavel Buchnevich, that group that came in the last year of Vigneault, the first year of David Quinn. All those young guys who were looking for opportunities. You think about them and how the Rangers bungled their retool. There is a world in which the Rangers kept their main core together. Where you have Zbigniewicz, you have Zuccarello, you have Kevin Hayes, you have JT Miller, you have Brady Shea, you have Ryan McDonough. Is that team better than where they are right now? Probably not. But you would not have had to go through the four years of just wasting time. And one of the frustrations about that period is... The Rangers have learned nothing from having Henrik Lundqvist for 15 years. Shesterkin looks to be the real deal. He looks to be a truly special top five goaltender. They've got him at a reasonable rate. They've got him locked up in his prime years. And they still made the same fucking mistake. You look at the team from last year that did not score enough. What did they do? They got Ryan Reeves... Barkley Goudreau, and Patrick Nemeth. That's what last year's team needed, was to get slower, bigger, and older. Not to be able to score more goals, to be able to possess the puck more. No, we need to get tougher. All we need is our goaltender to solve all our problems. It's the same exact thing. Granted, there are some caveats. 
Longboy's never played with somebody as good as Panarin in his prime. He never had a defenseman as good as Adam Fox in his prime. Ryan McDonough had two elite seasons. The 13 shortened season and 13-14, genuinely top five Norris-worthy seasons Ryan McDonough had. Fox is probably going to be this his entire career. And that's what's so frustrating. The Rangers have so much opportunity to improve the direction of their team just with a basic understanding of recent team history. And they just don't care. Chris Drury thinks he knows better than everybody else because he played hockey 15 years ago. Because he won a cup as a rookie on Joe Sackick's team. Because he was the captain of the fucking shitty Buffalo Sabres. He thinks he knows what it takes to win. Because he got one last paycheck from James Dolan 15 years ago and kissed ass long enough to hang around. He thinks he knows what it takes to win. Winning as a player and winning as a general manager are very different entities. And it's painful as a fan, as somebody who cares as deeply as I do, to see people who should know better making these decisions. Because I said this on the episode of the pod I recorded when Lundqvist announced his retirement from hockey before the season started. I said, it felt like I did something wrong. I was one of the reasons that the Rangers didn't win a cup because it couldn't be Hank's fault. Hank played his ass off any every single night, no matter who the opponent was. Even on the nights he didn't have his best game, he gave up a couple stinkers. He was always there right after the game. You'd see him on MSG Network with his hat on. He'd go and answer the questions because he knew it was on him. That if he wanted that team to win, if he wanted to win a Stanley Cup, he was going to have to be the best player in the world every single time he went on the ice. And it's it's so painfully unfair to feel that, to know that he feels unfulfilled to some degree in his career because they didn't win a Stanley Cup because of how much it means to him. It's been eight years. This June, it'll have been eight years since the Rangers lost to the Kings. And there is a mental picture I have from that night. I do not remember the reporter who tweeted the picture. Maybe 40 minutes after the game was over, they tweeted a picture of Hank sitting in his stall, no pads on top, but his leg pads still on, just in his dry fit shirt with his hat on, pulled low down below the brim of his forehead so you wouldn't be able to see his eyes. And he had his face in his hands, and you know he realized just how hard it was to get there and that there was no guarantee you were ever going to get back. And that is one of the problems when we start reducing people to resumes when we're evaluating them in team sports because... It's not fucking Lundqvist's fault he never won a cup. If he was on a better team, they would have won a cup at some point. The man played his ass off, and the absolute best he could do is drag a team to five games against a Kings team. That was better. The Rangers had runs in that series against the Kings and the following year in that series against Tampa. And... You just kept waiting for someone else to step up other than Hank. You kept waiting for someone else to make a play. Someone else had to bail him out because it was unrealistic to expect him to give up one or zero goals in every game. And the Rangers just never helped him out enough. 
resume does not define an athlete, especially in a team sport. If you want to talk about tennis or golf and resumes, okay. And hockey and football and baseball and basketball and soccer, your team matters. Your environment matters. That's part of the context here. The impact Henrik Lundqvist has had through the Henrik Lundqvist Foundation, his philanthropy, getting people involved in hockey, I am one of them. I, if Henrik Lundqvist is not the Rangers goaltender, my entire childhood into my young adulthood and into my college years, I probably wouldn't have cared as much because the Rangers were always interesting because he was always the, one of the five best goalies in the world. And it's a lot easier to get into a sport when your team has one of the truly elite players in it. I wouldn't be doing this podcast more than likely if it weren't for Henrik Lundqvist. And all of the things I've done professionally probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Henrik Lundqvist playing hockey for the Rangers. And part of why I get so frustrated with the devil fans who always are like, well, yeah, but Berdor's got the cups and Waugh's got the cups. You're telling me the 15 years I spent being a kid and falling in love with this sport didn't matter because it didn't result in a cup with Hank. While I myself am deeply, deeply, deeply upset the Rangers never won a Stanley Cup with Hank because I know Hank is one of the few athletes who has been willing to make himself available, to make himself vulnerable. To show that it matters to him as it does to the rest of us. And that is something that I think this the younger generation of athletes really needs to get through their fucking heads at some point. And this isn't to sound like a boomer because I, I'm not a shut up and play guy. I want to understand you. I want you to I want to be able to understand your emotions. What may what about the sport you play makes you feel the way it does? I want to be able to make that un that connection with you as an athlete. And I saw it on Hank's face every single time because he'd give up a shitty goal and he'd bang his stick like I know I would if I was in his position, banging on the post with his stick if he give up a bad goal. I know I wouldn't want to talk to the media after a game, but I knew if I was the best player on my team and I needed to be the one to carry us, I knew I would have to do that. And this is a very niche worldview I have as somebody who just consumes as much sports as I do, but the people like Lundqvist who have made themselves so vulnerable and easy to root, they, it makes them so much easier to root for when an athlete makes themselves vulnerable and shows that they care as much as you do. There are so many people who have come through the doors for the Rangers who I have a surface level understanding of who they are as a person. There are a whole lot of people on the team right now. I have no idea what they're like because the team doesn't care to make them available in that way. And they don't want to be. They don't want to be emotional and vulnerable because they'll get mocked or they'll get targeted or whatever. I know in my heart of hearts, most athletes care the way the fans do, but they just don't show it. When you show it, that is when you can make a connection with an audience the way Henrik Lundqvist has with Ranger fans and with hockey fans at large. Towards the end of Hank's career, he got into that Joe Thornton, Pat Marlowe, win one for them category of player. 
because everybody understands how much the game means to them. And as a fan, you want to feel like your emotions have meaning, that all of the time and the effort and the emotions and the money you've put into this hobby matters to some degree. And to see a player giving it their all and getting just as frustrated as I am sitting on the couch, that is a validating life experience. That is something that I couldn't replicate. Like, even even with Igor, who's a tremendous goaltender, English is his second language. He's a little bit on the shy side. He's still kind of, he talks to an interpreter, which is fine, but it's just harder for me to connect with him is all. I want to be able to understand who he is as a person. Like, a couple weeks ago, when somebody asked him about what does it feel like when the entire arena is chanting your name and he says, I just try not to cry. That's extremely endearing and empathetic. And I wish I knew more things like that about the guys on my team because it would make me want to root for them even more. This is a sport. This is a silly little game. Like the internet always likes to talk about. This is a silly little game. This is a child's game played by grown men for millions of dollars and billions of dollars if you're an owner. This is supposed to be a communal, a familial experience. All of the people you meet along the way in your journey as a fan. That is why this is such a fun place to be. The people you meet along the way are what make it so special as a fan. You get to share these collective experiences with other people. Knowing all of the people who are going to be there on Friday. who Some had to give an arm and a leg to be able to afford to go on Friday. And... I am very happy that Hank is going to get his moment to just to soak it in because he didn't get it at the end of his time with the Rangers because of the pandemic, because of the way David Quinn was managing the goaltenders. And it just means the world to me to know that a, I'm going to get to be able to have one last moment and b that he's going to get to realize just how many people he's impacted. And it's not just the people who are going to be there. It'll be the people at the viewing parties. It'll be the people in the entire tri-state area watching the game on TV with a box of tissues near them. It's going to be an emotional day on Friday. That is an entire chapter of my life that is over. I, I think about it now because I turned 25 in a few weeks and it was very hard for me to grasp a world where Henrik Lundqvist was not the starting goaltender of the Rangers. And I've had the comings and goings of other teams Eli not being the starter of the Giants anymore was really the biggest one for me before Lundqvist. And I just always assumed he'd play till he was 44, 45 because he was that much of a psycho, because he cared that much. And I never got to have my last thank you. And Friday will get to be that thank you. And it means the world to me that I'm going to be able to get to do that. When you think about Lundqvist, you think about the accomplishments, the statistics, the gaudy, gaudy statistics. He's got the most wins of any goaltender ever from Europe. He's one of the three or four most winningest goaltenders in the history of the sport. And he did it on not good teams, which is the context for all of this conversation. He was the best player on his team every single time they made a postseason. I said it before. Of 130 postseason appearances, 74 of them, he gave up two or fewer goals. In the regular season, in his 15 years as a starter, we only have stat tracking data for 13 of his 15 years. He saved 
nearly three times as many goals more than expected than the next guy. The next person, John Gibson, 93.16 goals saved above expected. Henrik Lundqvist, 277.94 goals saved above expected. Superhuman shit. So if you want me to explain goals above expected, if you're newer to the show or if you're just unfamiliar with this concept, every scoring chance has a mathematical value between 0 and 1. The more likely a shot a scoring chance is going to result in a goal, the more valuable, the closer it'll be to the number one. More scoring attempts are less than 0.1. They're 0.05, 0.07, because they're not likely to result in a goal. To save 277.94 goals saved above expected over the course of 15 years is super human shit. When you think about the number of games Henrik Lundqvist started in his career. You think about the perseverance to be able to bounce back from some of the devastating losses. You think about the losses they had under Tom Rennie against Buffalo in that playoff series. You think about losing to Washington in 2010. Losing to the Devils in 2000. Not 2010. Losing to Washington in 2011. Losing to the Devils in 2012. Losing to the Kings in 14. The Bruins in 13 the Lightning in 15, and still being able to come back with the vigor of... We're, my expectation is this team is going to win a Stanley Cup every single season. You think about the injuries. You think about Mark Stahl poking him in the eye with a stick. You think about that play against Carolina where he gets hit in the neck with a puck because the defenseman is poking his helmet so his neck goes up and it's exposed. And he has that blood clot in his neck where he has to miss a couple weeks and Cam Talbot comes in. And they're still a very good team with Cam Talbot. And he still comes back from that, and he's the goaltender. I I vividly remember the 2015 postseason. The morning of Game 7, it was a half day. It was my senior year of high school. That's why I remember it. I remember I was walking through the lobby of my high school, and I saw the shop teacher I had in 8th grade, and I saw... The production, the design, drawing, and production teacher I had in 10th grade. They were standing in the lobby talking to each other. I know they're both hockey guys. I walk up to them. This is after the Rangers win in game six. They score, I think, six goals, and they give up four. And I look at both of them, and they both look at me. They know I'm a psychotic. I'm wearing a Rangers t-shirt. I'm wearing a, it's a blue t-shirt they gave away during one of the playoff games in 2012. It says, believe diagonally in the Rangers font, like the Rangers New York does across their, like Rangers does across their jersey diagonally. And I look at Mr. Melora and I say, I'm not that worried. He goes, you're not? I go, no, I'm not. And then I look at Mr. Armstrong. Yes, I remember teachers I had like six to ten years ago because that's just how my memory works. And I say, Lundquist didn't play his best game tonight and they won. Lundqvist plays his best game tonight in Game 7, and they're going to win this fucking game. And I, I said fucking. And they both looked at me and they said, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I remember Mr. Millar looking at me and going, you got Lundqvist. I'll give you that. And Mr. Millar was a Devils fan. Mr. Armstrong was a Rangers fan. I just That came back to me because it's one of those moments I remember, and it defines the entirety of my time with Henrik Lundqvist as my goaltender. 
as long as we had Lundqvist, I felt like we could win any game, no matter who the opponent was, no matter what the situation. You think about coming back from 3-1 down against Pittsburgh. Him turning into a brick fucking wall in Game 7. The save he makes with like three minutes to go that turns into a rugby scrum in the net mouth where there's a stick on the ground, a backhand shot that deflects off of a stick that's on the ground. It goes underneath Lundqvist's right el- right arm, and he still somehow fucking... Mm, my God, I just... I lose my mind thinking about that flurry because I remember sitting in my room, standing up, yelling at the TV, jumping up and down like a raving lunatic because I just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop because my entire experience with the Rangers was always they were a decent team but they always flopped because they couldn't score enough and that man in between the pipe said we can't score enough fine the other team's not scoring tonight they're scoring one goal they get one if they're lucky and that is the kind of thing that sticks with you the rest of your life as a sports fan as somebody who cares this much as I do You think about the playoff results he had. Lundqvist is under 500 for his career in the postseason because he dragged a lot of bad and average teams to the playoffs where you actually have to play good teams multiple games in a row and the Rangers' flaws were exposed repeatedly over and over and over again. And as I start to transition to the last part of this conversation, I have this subheading titled Honesty and Your Goals. The Rangers' goal obviously, was to win a Stanley Cup. How honest they were with their ability to execute that is tenuous. When you look at the teams they assembled in front of him, the two best talent-wise are 13-14, 14-15. Those teams had obvious flaws. 14? You think about it. That first line of Stepan, Nash, and Kreider... Who's scaring you on that line, goal-scoring-wise? Kreider had a nice playoffs, but he, he was not he was not scoring a goal every other game on the power play like he is right now. Derek Stepan is not an elite sniper. He's a good distributor. Rick Nash was snake bit. Nick Bash, Nick, Rick Nash shot like 2% in that postseason. The second line of Richards, Haglin, and St. Louis. That line got murdered against the Kings at 5-on-5 possession-wise. When I went back and looked at those numbers for the first time, when I started getting into analytics, I was appalled at the shot share that group was generating. The third line, that was the best line on the Cup Final team, which is the interesting thing that Broussard, Zuccarello, and Pouliot were the best line on that team. They had the most goals of any line in that postseason at 5-on-5. Just amazing stuff. And then the fourth line, that was a good fourth line. And anecdotally, you think about how good that group was defensively of Boyle, Dominic Moore, and Derek Dorsett, or the few games that Carcillo got in for Dorsett. Just, that was the best group they had for Hank. That was the best group they had. And you think about some of the other teams that they ran up against, the Crosby, Malkin, Penguins, the Ovechkin, Backstrom, Capitals, the Bergeron, Krejci, and Chara, and Marchand, Bruins, and the Lightning before they were really a juggernaut when it was still that line of Palat, Kucherov, and Tyler Johnson 
the triplets line that NBC called them every six minutes during that series. Were the Rangers ever more talented than any team they matched up against in the postseason after the first round? Sure, they played some shitty teams in the first round. The Pittsburgh team in 2015. The Montreal team in the first round in 2017. The Montreal team without Carey Price in 2016. Yeah, on occasion they were. More often than not, they were less talented. And it was up to Lundqvist to make up that difference. The lessons are obvious here. If you have an elite player, don't expect him to make up the difference. Enable him to make a massive difference. Enable him to be the difference between a 50-50 game and your team to be better. That's all I want. If every game is a 50-50 coin flip on the offset on talent, I will take that. And say, alright, my goaltender can steal this game if we're close enough. Not 60-40, and if Hank is Hank tonight, we can win. Because not a lot of goaltenders have Henrik Lundqvist-level ability in them. That's what's so frustrating about this. There were so many opportunities for the Rangers to improve, and they made the wrong choice. They just flat-out picked the wrong person over another one, and that was the decision. That was it. That was it. The last thing I will leave you with before I end today's show. Think about standing in a pool with a little kid on your shoulders. You're a strong person. You're fine. You balance them. They only weigh 30, 40 pounds. That's fine. What happens if you try and stand with an 80, 90-pound person on your shoulders in a pool? 120, 130, 140-pound person. Try and balance a 200-pound person on your shoulders while you're standing in a pool. It's a lot easier to fall down, right? That's what the Rangers are. With Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist was the dad standing with their kid on his shoulders in the pool. And as that kid kept getting older just by growing up, kept getting harder for him to stand all the way up. He started leaning more and more forward. Then, like, his mouth was almost underneath the waterline. And then that kid grew up a little too much and his head was under the water. And that is all I can say to encapsulate the Henrik Lundqvist era in New York. I'm very happy Friday is here. I always joked about it. I Even when I was in high school, when I was in college, no matter what it costs, no matter when it is, I will be there when they retire Henrik Lundqvist's jersey. And it came sooner than I expected. I thought the Rangers might have waited a little while, tried to build it up a little bit more, but they, they're going for it now. And I'm going to have... An emotional experience on Friday is the way I will describe it. I am very, very, very much looking forward to Friday. I, I know a lot of Ranger fans are. I know a lot of hockey fans are. It will be a borderline religious experience to get to say thank you to Hank one more time. That will just about do it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope this conversation did not make you too depressed like it did to me. If you get a chance, please check out the shows did earlier in the week about the Hurricanes and the Panthers. Tomorrow, we'll do Conference Championship Sunday. I will see you guys then. Try not to cry. See you.